Well, it is always good when we get to sing the words of Scripture and just understand what they mean, that that is God's desire to turn his face toward us and to bless us and to keep us. So we're thankful for the words of Scripture and the power that that has over our lives. I want to just welcome you. Uh, you've already been greeted in this service, but I want to welcome you to Lakeview Wesleyan Church today. We are so glad that you're here, and for those of you who are joining us online this morning, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to be with us and to gather with the church today. We're glad that you've decided to do that. We're starting a brand new message series today called What Kind of Church? And so if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter 16. We're going to be there uh, in that passage here in just a few moments. You know, one of the realities is that sometimes we allow assumptions to creep into our lives and then those assumptions form misconceptions about things that we encounter in life. So if we're not careful, those assumptions can sneak in and then all of a sudden we understand something differently than it was intended to be understood because of these wrong assumptions that we've been holding. I think this is true of church. And I think COVID-19 has actually been a very helpful tool for us to maybe reveal some of our assumptions about church and help us maybe reset those assumptions. For example, some of us have started to assume and come to a place in our lives where we thought church was a building, right? Like we, we will actually say, like, I got to stop by the church, Right Or we got to go to church. Or the church is closed. That's been one of my favorites over the COVID-19 stay at home. The church is closed. Except the church can't close because it's not a building. Right Now some of us don't think of church as a building. We think of it as an event. Like church happens at a certain time. Right, So we say what time is church? Or for those who are a little more Pentecostal charismatic among us, let's have church. Right? And we talk about that. What time does church start? Right? So we think of church as a place or we think of church as an event. But this series is intended to help us ask a question just called what kind of church? And this whole series is geared to help us evaluate the assumptions we make about church and to hopefully reset them. So that together as a congregation, we can have a biblical ecclesiology. How's that for a fancy word on the first Sunday of June? Biblical ecclesiology. That's just a fancy word which means the doctrine of the church. That's what ecclesiology is. And we want our understanding of the church, our doctrine of the church, not to be rooted in any of our human assumptions. We want it to be rooted only in the words of Scripture. Now, I know we're still learning how to function together as pastor and congregation, but that would have been another great place for an amen. So I'm going to try that one more time. We want our understanding of the church not to be rooted on our assumptions, but only in the words of Scripture. Amen. amen. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to get the hang of this. I promise we will. So this whole series is just simply asking the question, what kind of church, and each week, we are going to study some New Testament passages that speak to the nature and purpose of the church. 
And as we explore these teachings, the whole point is for us just to make sure that we have a firm foundation in Scripture as to what kind of church God has called us to be so that we can do the things God has called us to do in our day and in our time. So we're going to start this series today by looking at Matthew chapter 16, but I want to give you kind of the cornerstone idea of this entire series. And it is this, that the church is not a place and the church is not an event. It is a community. I want to say that one more time. Church is not a building. It's not a place, right? Jesus did not come to build buildings. And it's not an event. Jesus did not come just to give us something to do with our time on Sunday morning. It's a community. It's a group of people called together around the person of Jesus to exist for his purposes in the world. And we're going to talk about that all throughout this series. And we're going to ask the question, what kind of church, what kind of community are we called to be? So Matthew chapter 16, before we read these words, I want to just set the stage for you. Jesus takes his disciples to this town called Caesarea Philippi, and it's important for us to understand just a little bit about this town. We're not going to go into a, a ton of detail, but it's important for you to know at least two things about Caesarea Philippi. The first is that it was a government center for the Roman Empire. It wasn't the capital of the Roman Empire, but it was an important government center. So there were government officials who lived there and did their work there. There were government buildings that the Roman Empire owned in that city, and the government officials would go there, and they would do their work for the Roman Empire. So you couldn't go to Caesarea Philippi without seeing the political power of the Roman Empire. It was obvious, it was physical, it was visible in front of you. A little bit like when you go to Washington, D.C., you kind of can't miss it. Right? It's just there. So, so there's that reality. The second thing about Caesarea Philippi is that it was a military outpost. So there were barracks for soldiers to live in. And there were training grounds for them to, to practice their warfare skills so that they could be ready for battle at a moment's notice. This was a place on the edge of the empire where the army could be sent out to go and conquer new land or to defend the empire at a moment's notice. And so when you go to Caesarea Philippi, you see political power and you see military might. Those are the two things that you see in Caesarea Philippi. And here's what you need to know. Those were the two primary mechanisms of the Roman Empire to expand their influence throughout the known world at that time. One more time. These were the two primary mechanisms that the Roman Empire used to spread their influence throughout the world at that time. The military would go out, conquer a new land. The government would move in and set up its rule and reign and authority over those people. And the Roman Empire would expand and would grow in its influence over the world. And Jesus takes his disciples to Caesarea Philippi really for one reason, to have the conversation we're getting ready to read. There's really no other reason for him to go there. He actually takes a journey with his disciples, and when he gets them there, in, in surrounded by the political power and the military might of the Roman Empire, Jesus has this conversation. Listen to it in Matthew 16, starting in verse 13. When Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. That's pretty good company, by the way. 
right? Jesus is kind of feeling out, what, what kind of press am I getting? And his disciples say, well, actually some pretty good press. Some think you might be Jeremiah or one of the prophets, maybe even Elijah or John the Baptist. And then Jesus turns and asks them a more pointed question in verse 15. But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, just a quick pause there to say that we read that phrase and we think to ourselves, well, this is obvious, right, that Jesus is the Messiah. That's the word Christ, the anointed one of God, and he's the Son of God. But here's what I want you to notice. What Peter is suggesting here is actually treasonous. Because there was only one anointed one, that was Caesar, and he was known as the Son of God. So when Peter pauses in the middle of this conversation to say, no, you are the Christ, you are the anointed one, and you're the son of the living God, Peter's not just making a declaration that's true about Jesus, he's actually saying, so Caesar isn't who he says he is. Which is pretty bold in a place of political power and military might. Don't don't ever think that the Christian faith wasn't intended to be political. It is 100% intended to be political. Because Jesus doesn't allow for there to be any other lords except himself. Which, in case you're not making the application, if you thought your political party was the power, wrong. If you thought your guy or your gal for the office was the right one, wrong. Jesus is the only king. And as Christians, while we want to be wonderful citizens that contribute to our society, please, please, please never forget, we only have one Lord. And we didn't elect him. His name is Jesus. And he's not just king of America. He's king of the whole universe. And he's the one we serve and the one that we follow. And our primary identity should never be the nation from which we hail. Our primary identity should be follower of Jesus Christ. We should should be known by that more than we are known by anything else. Now, some of you are mad and want to leave, but because of COVID, you have to remain in your seat. So you're stuck here, at least for a little bit longer. So Jesus is Lord. He is Christ. He's the son of the living God. This is Peter's proclamation. And it's so earth-shattering, so bold, that Jesus says, Peter, you couldn't have figured this out on your own. This must have been revealed to you by my Father who is in heaven. Verse 18, this is the verse we're really going to look at. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock... I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, uh, we're going to go fast here. I'm going to give you three things that I think are really important out of this passage that help us understand a little bit more about what kind of church, what kind of community we're supposed to be. The first thing I want you to see is that Jesus is the center of the church. Jesus is the center 
of the church. Jesus says in this passage, I will build my church. And because we're reading it in English, we don't understand the nuances of the original language in which it was written. But if we could uh, understand those original languages, what we would see is that the word that Jesus chose for the word my is a word that is emphasized in the original language. If we were writing it today, we might underline it or bold text or maybe even all caps. Jesus is saying, this church, it's mine. Now, this is important for us to understand because sometimes we think the church is ours. Oh, we're so funny that way. Now, the church belongs to Jesus. He's the founder, he's the owner, and he's the Lord of the church. This is so important for us to understand. The church is called together around the person of Jesus, and he sits right at the center of the church, and the church belongs to him. It doesn't belong to me. It doesn't belong to the church board or even to you as the congregation. No, the church belongs to Jesus. So when we think about being the kind of church Jesus wants us to be, first and foremost, we must unify around the person of Jesus Christ. This means that that as we pursue Jesus, the closer we get to Jesus, the closer we'll get to one another. Right? We have to love Jesus beyond everything else in our lives, and we must pursue him with all that is within us. And as we get closer to Jesus, we get closer to one another. And, and that's important because Jesus said, this is the only way that they'll know that you're my followers if you actually love one another. If you actually get along in the world, if you actually can demonstrate what it looks like to be a diverse community of people who still live together in unity, that's how they'll know Jesus was sent by the Father and that we are his followers. Paul talks about this in Ephesians 4 when he says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. And the very first characteristic of that life that's worthy of the calling is unity. We have to come together in unity. Why? Because there's only one Lord. Right? Paul says in one of his letters, some of you say you follow Paul and others of you say you follow Apollos, but there's only one Lord. One faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who's over all and through all and in all. So we must make every effort to maintain unity in the bond of the Spirit. This is the only way they'll know we're his disciples. And yet so many times we, we come into church and instead of trying to live together in unity around the person of Jesus, we have little groups and little factions and little special interest groups that want to pull the church in certain directions. And, and the reality is, no, there's only one Lord. There's only one faith, only one baptism, and we got to unify around him. The other thing that happens when we put Jesus at the center is that our uh, expression of love for Jesus overflows into working for the mission of the church. I'm always fascinated when I run into people, and I always run into them, who say, well, I love Jesus, I just don't love the church, which doesn't make any sense. It literally makes no sense. Because if you love Jesus, you will love the community that Jesus started. And I run into people all the time who want to divide those two. You can't. Jesus is our Lord, but the church is our community. Right? So 
We have to gather around the person of Jesus. And when we look at our time and our talents and our treasure, we can't say we love Jesus and then refuse to invest in the work of the church. No, if we love Jesus, we will invest in that which he created, which he wants to accomplish his work in the world. Third thing, we put Jesus at the center. I gotta move fast. Third thing, we put Jesus at the center is that we realize the church's job is to make disciples. Followers of Jesus, that's what it means to be a disciple. That's our mission, that's our job. Because that's what Jesus came to do. He came to invite people to actually follow him and have their lives transformed by the person of Jesus Christ, to actually become like Jesus. And so that's our mission. We go out into the world and we invite people to discover who Jesus is and to commit their lives to follow him because Jesus is the center of the church. At the end of the day, the church is not an organization. It's not a religious institution. It's not just a nonprofit that does good deeds in the world. No, the church is a Jesus-centered movement. So we are constantly inviting people to know who Jesus is and to follow him. Alan Hirsch, in his book, The Forgotten Ways, uh, offers this explanation of the Christian faith. And I just find this short little quote to be so powerful as it relates to kind of understanding the church. This is what Alan Hirsch says. God is one, and the task of our lives is to bring every aspect of our lives, both communal as a church and individual as people, under this one God. He continues, our identity as a movement, as well as our destiny as a people, is inextricably linked to Jesus. At its very heart, Christianity is therefore a messianic movement, one that seeks to consistently embody the life, spirituality, and mission of its founder. The church at its core is a Jesus movement. It's a Jesus movement, which brings me to the second major point from Matthew 16, which is this. Not only is Jesus at the center of the church, but as the church, we are a community of life, a community of life. I don't know what that sound is, but it's driving me nuts. We're a community of life as the church. And Jesus in this passage says, I will build my church. And the word that he uses for church is the word ecclesia. It's where we get that fancy word from, ecclesiology. It's actually from the Greek word that Jesus uses, ecclesia. And it literally is a word that means called out ones. Now, it's interesting that Jesus chooses this word to say what he's going to build. I'm going to build my ecclesia because it's the same word used to describe in Roman culture of the day, people who were called out to serve in the government and people who were called out to serve in the military. And Jesus says, I like that word. I need one of those groups of called out people. So I'm going to build one of those. But I'm not building political power. I'm not building a government. And I'm not building the military. I'm building a different kind of community. But he uses that term, and I think it's very strategic because of where he's having the conversation. <laughs> right? The Roman Empire uses political power and military might to expand the empire into all of the world. And Jesus says, well, I need one of those ecclesias as well. 
Because I've got a mission. I want my kingdom to actually spread throughout all the world. I want my kingdom to go into every nook and cranny of this globe. And I need a community of people who will be gathered around me, who will do what I need them to do to carry out my mission. Now, it's interesting about this word. It is never used to refer to a building, not one time. It doesn't mean that. And it's never used to refer to an event. It doesn't mean that either. Because Jesus isn't interested in having a building. Buildings don't accomplish the purpose of Jesus. Right? He's not interested in just saying, look at this building, that's my church. No, that's not what Jesus is calling into existence. He's calling into existence a community of people who believe in him, who love him, who follow him, who serve him, because the people are the work. Now, sometimes churches get wrapped up in building buildings, and it actually takes them away from their mission of being the community that God wants them to be. So I, I just want you to know, I'm so thankful for the building we have. It's spacious, right? I know churches right now that can't meet because their building isn't big enough when you social distance, which, by the way, is a funny word because we shouldn't social distance. We should physically distance and still stay connected socially. Please stay connected socially. Introverts just got nervous, like, on it, I thought we could social distance for a while. I'm thankful for the building we have, but I just want you to know, if for some reason this building went away, our church would still exist. Because the church isn't this space. You are the church. We are are the church. We're a community, a Jesus community, right here in Marion and in Grant County, a Jesus community. And this community that Jesus has called together is different from every other community in the world, and here's why. Because Jesus is at the center, this community is a community of life. It's interesting in this passage that Peter's confession of Jesus is that you're the son of the living God, And it's it's fascinating that he references this idea of living God because Peter's saying, this is, you're different. You're not just some leader. You're actually the son of a God who is alive and well. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of our forefathers who is still alive. You're the son of the living God. Now what Peter doesn't know yet is that eventually Jesus is going to suffer. He's going to die. He's going to be buried. And then he's going to be raised again. And this Jesus standing in front of them one day will be the one who has conquered death, hell, and the grave. That he will be the resurrection and the life. Right at the center of this community is the life of Jesus. And Jesus brings us alive, right? John 10, 10, Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life, and you might have it to the full. We are a community of life because Jesus is at the center, and not only are we alive because of Jesus, but we get to bring life to the world where death currently reigns. We have a culture full of places where death reigns. Destruction reigns, brokenness reigns, and as the community centered around Jesus Christ, we get to carry his life into the world. 
And wherever death is, life can start to sprout up. It's a beautiful thing. Jesus is at the center of the church, and when he is, we become a community of life. And because we are a community of life, there's a third reality from Matthew 16. We are a missional entity. We are a missional entity. This is important for us to understand because when we say we are missional, what we are saying is that the church is an ends. It's not an ends, it's a means. Jesus didn't call the church into existence just because he thought it'd be cool for a church to exist. Jesus called the church to exist because there's a purpose that he wants the church to fulfill. That's why the church exists. Some writers have said that the church doesn't have a mission. The mission of God has a church. Now that might sound like we're just playing with words, but those are two different things. Churches don't just get to say, what do we want our mission to be? No, no. We only exist because God himself has a mission to redeem and to restore and to renew this world. And because God is on that mission, he's called the church to exist. We have a mission. That's why we are here. If you just look at the narrative of Scripture, in Mark chapter 1, Jesus comes and he doesn't say, here's the good news, I've come to create a church. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, here's the good news. The kingdom of God is now here. I'm, I'm here to announce the inbreaking of God's kingdom to this world. And he says, you can repent. You can turn around from the way you've been living your life and you can walk right into the kingdom of God and you can begin to live in the kingdom and experience everything that God originally wanted you to experience when he created you. And he invites people into that kingdom. And from there, we get to Matthew chapter 16 as the disciples have been called and they're walking with Jesus and they're learning from Jesus. And what we find Jesus doing in Matthew 16 is saying, guys, I need, I need one of those ecclesias. I need to call some people out from the culture and I need them to center their lives around me so that I can develop them and then send them out to use them for the work that I want to accomplish in the world. Jesus then dies on the cross, he's buried, he's raised again, and through his death and his resurrection, he lays the foundation for the church. After his resurrection, he appears to his disciples in Matthew 28, and he says, guys, I want you to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptize them, teach them, right? Go everywhere and tell everyone, because we want everybody to be a part of the kingdom of God. And then in Acts chapter 1, before he ascends to the Father, he says, guys, I want you to go and wait for the promised gift of the Holy Spirit. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. And then in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit's poured out. The church is born. Peter preaches the first sermon of the church. 3,000 people come to faith on that day. They're baptized. They begin to devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. They begin to fellowship together. They begin to go out and minister in the community. They're enjoying the favor of God and the favor of all the people. And the Lord's adding to their number daily those who are being saved. It's a wonderful picture of the church being anointed by God and sent by God to do his work and his purposes. And I say all of that to say if you read the New Testament, you can't help but see that the church is a missional entity. Now some of you are saying, so what? What difference does that make? Well, it makes a big difference. Because if we don't recognize that the church is a missional entity, we get tempted to come to church thinking church exists for me. We're so silly that way. 
right? People come to church and they think church exists for me. They come with a consumer paradigm. They ask questions like this, what can the church do for me? How can the church help me? How can the church meet my needs and suit my preferences and match just the way I like things to be? And and a whole bunch of people come to their church that way. A, A church for me paradigm. They come as a consumer. Now, if everybody comes to church as a consumer, guess what happens? You get a very self-centered, inward-focused church. You just get a bunch of people who are saying, I'm just coming to get what I can get out of church. And a church like that, it diminishes. It shrinks over time. You know why? Because God won't pour out His Holy Spirit on a church if they're only interested in their own self. God never gives the Holy Spirit to a church just so we can feel better. (laughs) Gives the Holy Spirit to a church so we can do the mission that he gave us to do, right? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Why? So you can be my witnesses out there. It's not about us. It's about those who are not yet here, always. That's the mission of Jesus. So when we understand the church is missional, we shift paradigms. Instead of coming as a consumer, we come as a servant. Instead of saying, what can the church do for me? We say, what can I do for the church? We ask a whole different set of questions. What's, what amount of time do I have that I can give? What, what are the talents God's blessed me with? What treasure has he entrusted to my care? And how can I give more and more of those things to see the mission of the church advance? How can I serve? Where can I help? What's the church doing in our community and in our world? And how can I participate? It's a whole different paradigm. So what does it matter if we think of the church as missional or not? It matters a lot because if we get this wrong, we'll become a self-centered, inward-focused church. But if we get it right, we'll turn outward and we will seek to fulfill the mission of God. And when we do, the Holy Spirit can be poured out. And this is the best part of Matthew 16. If we are a Jesus-centered community empowered by the Holy Spirit and we're on mission with God, we're unbeatable. We're unbeatable. Right? In Matthew 16, Jesus says, I will build my church and even the gates of hell won't overcome it. This is a powerful promise. When I was a kid, I used to always hear this promise talked about as like a defensive posture for the church, right? Like if we just kind of cower inside the building and keep our heads down and hold on tight, we can make it. We can survive. And that sounds cool, except that's not what Jesus was saying at all. Jesus was not inviting the church to hide out. He was inviting the church to be sent out. And he was saying, guys, you can go anywhere, anywhere. Go out and take the life of God out into the world. And when you find yourself at the gates of hell, don't worry. It's no match for you. Just keep right on going. They can't stop you. This is powerful. Right? I mean, I know there's probably some Colts fans in the room, and you have no idea what it's like to be unbeatable. Um, but, 
But everybody wants their team to be unbeatable, right? You want to just know that you could go all the way to the end of the season and never lose a game, and you'd always win, and you would never be defeated. I just want you to know we play on that team. Some of you are getting the hang of this. You're saying amen. Listen, we are an unbeatable team when we function the way the church was intended to function, centered on Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, on mission with God, taking his word and his truth and his life out into the kingdom. When we are in that place, God loves to pour out his spirit on that kind of church. Because Jesus chose us to go and bear fruit. And he said, whatever you need, just ask in my name and I'll give it to you. Oh, I lo Jesus loves to give us what we need to do his work. So we need to wrap up here. I'm going to invite our musicians to come back and because we're going to do something very specific here at the end. And uh, this is true for the people in the room. It's also true for those of you at home right now. I know you might be sitting on the couch or sitting in your recliner. And, and in a minute, I'm going to ask you if you feel led to stand up and sing at the top of your lungs. And I know it's going to feel weird in your living room, but do it anyway because this is a really important commitment moment for us as a church. Wherever you're at this morning, sitting here in the pews or sitting at home on your couch, here's what I want us to do. We're going to sing this song. It's actually an old chorus. And I really don't know why this chorus popped in my mind at the beginning of this week, but it did. It just came to mind. And I was sitting at my desk working on the end of this message, and, and I literally just started singing this song at my desk. It's just a little song that invites the Holy Spirit to fall fresh on us. And here's what I want you to do as this song is, as we start to sing it. If you find yourself this morning in your heart saying, you know what, I want to be a part of a church that's centered on Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and committed to taking the mission of God out into the world. If that's your heart this morning, then as we start singing, I want to invite you to stand. Now, I just want you to know, if you don't have that commitment in your heart, don't play games. Don't pretend there's really no pressure here. I would much rather you be honest and, and have integrity in the house of God and just remain seated than to stand and fake a commitment that you don't really mean. Because at the end of the day, this commitment, it's actually not a commitment to me. It's not a commitment to the church board. It's, it's not even a commitment to the other people in the congregation. It's just a commitment between you and God. So as we start singing this song, if you find yourself in your heart saying, I want to be a part of a church that's centered only on Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit to carry out the mission of God in our community and our world, all I want to invite you to do is stand and then just sing to the top of your lungs. And for those of you at home, I'm talking to you as well. Get up off of that couch, get out of that recliner, stand up and sing to the top of your lungs, and let's make this commitment before the Lord. So Josh, lead us. Straight. 
God, you see people all across this room standing. God, you know our hearts this morning. We are simply here saying we want Jesus to be at the center of this community. God, I I pray that, that more than anything else in our community, we would be known as Jesus people. Don't let anything else define us. Don't let anything else be our primary identity. Let that be our calling card, that we are Jesus people. Fill us, God, as we have already just sung. Fill us in a fresh and new way with your power and your strength. Fall on us, Holy Spirit. Make us the kind of people that you want us to be, the kind of church you want us to be. And then, God, make us missional. Not consumers. No, no, please don't let us be consumers. Let us instead, God, be servants used by you to take your message and your mission throughout our community and around the world. And God, encourage us with the promise of your word that as we do those things, you will not let us find ourselves in a place where we can't win. Because life always conquers death. And Jesus has already won the victory. So Lord, I pray blessings on us as a church today. Please, God, pour out your spirit on us in a fresh and new way. For what you do, we're going to give you the thanks and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.